and welcome to Darkly Lit, where horror literally jumps off the pages. Ah. I am your host, Kayla Berry. And I am Sade. And I am David. And that's not my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today we're going to be discussing Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. I love this book. I do too. I, this is this is really good. First of all, it's a very quick read. It's only thirty minutes long. I think yeah, it only took us take you takes thirty minutes. It's a yeah. Graphic. It definitely took me under an hour to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a graphic novel. So, but it's a, well, it's a comic it, anthology. So you got yeah. multiple stories in here. Mm-hmm. Would you like to give the description um, before we continue? Mm, okay. Well, I was thinking we'll start with. We could do a quick little bio on Emily Carroll, and then maybe, because we normally do the summary of the whole book, but since we have multiple little stories, what if we do a summary, discuss that story, next summary, story, or discussion? That seems... And then we can yeah, that seems maybe good. do the questions at the end? Sure. I like this idea. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, for this type of, um, for this type of book, yeah, I think that's the best way. Cool beans. Then... Let me tell you a bit about Emily Carroll, who is probably my favorite webcomic artist. Uh, Emily Carroll is a Canadian artist and comic author. author. Uh, I think she was born in London, Ontario. Ontario. Oh, dang. Bye. And um, I think she first started getting... Well, she did. Let me look at this, make sure I got my numbers right. Um, She first started getting recognition for her webcomics in 2010. Um, specifically with one of her first comics, which was Face, His Face All Red, which is in the anthology we read, so we'll get to talk about that. Uh, Emily has done work for different anthologies, uh, including Explorer, Mystery Boxes, Fairy Tale Comics, Creepy, The Witching Hour, ha. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in 2014, uh, she got to publish her own little anthology, Through the Woods. Which is what we read. I have so my this own is copy. A, I love it. This is a <laughs> this is a fairly recent novel, then, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, in 2014, she also released a um, another web comic, short web comic, comic strip style called "The Hole the Fox Did," which is on her website. And I highly recommend everyone who enjoyed the book to go read that one too, and just to definitely check out her website because she has a lot of comics up on there um you can find her at mcarroll.com um and the the hole the fox did make is probably another one of my favorites of her she's also done um some illustration work on graphic novels um baba yaga's assistant and a graphic novel adaptation of speak she has also co-created this game called the yag which is a one to two person ad- uh, choose your adventure game. Oh, sorry, one to four person. Yeah. Even better. Yeah, and let me read the little synopsis of it for you. <laughs> the evil Yog is returning. How will the town's locals lead their lives in the mean in the meanwhile? And what will they do when the dreaded Yog finally arrives? And I watched a little demo of it, and I think. We should play it. I will drag Ravel in, and I think the four of us should play it, because it looks like a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, that yeah. sounds like a great idea. Ooh, if we could record it, that'd be cool, too. Yeah. Oh, that'd that is be definitely fun. what I want to do. Um, we'll, we'll turn it into something maybe with connected with the witching hour, and we'll, we'll, we'll do something with it. But I definitely sounds think the me. four of us should play it. It is on Steam. I'm going to put a link to that 
to the hole the fox would make and to his face all red in the show notes. Um, if you read the print version, then you read his face all red. And when you read it on the website, it's got that infinite canvas format where you're scrolling down. And I think it's a different experience. I honestly oh, yeah. like it better online because you're scrolling down and there's just this slightly more, just definitely more unnerving feeling that you get so whether you read it already i definitely go say check out her website mcarol.com um also want to point out that she is an lgbt artist and writer so fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I, I actually looked at her up just to see um look look some details about her too i like how and at the end it says she lives with her wife in canada i'm like oh that's Mm -hmm. awesome Mm -hmm. so I really like her. I love her stuff. And I'm excited to talk about this with you guys. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Um, so uh, first off, should we, uh, should we discuss the artwork um, before we get into it? Well, you can't really discuss the comic without the artwork. Well, the store artwork. Uh, mm-hmm. Can we Art. discuss the fact that in the first thing, uh, one of the people who praises uh, Through the Woods is Kate Beaton? Uh, who is one of my favorite webcomic artists. She does Harka Vagrant. Ooh. Emily Carroll should be should be recognized as one of the best graphic storytellers out there. Yes, um, Kate, that is a quite a glowing endorsement, and I, I will agree with you there. <laughs> uh, we have our uh, book open, so we can follow along. And... Yeah. Okay, awesome. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does make it helpful. I, I'm not going to lie, especially since, first of all, the graphic imagery in this is incredible. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not as like. Well, her use of, her, her use of colors and color palettes is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like just in the first free page where it goes kind of from day to night and inverts the colors from uh, like black to white with the trees and stuff. So you get a sense of where it's going. But even that's even before you get to the table of contents. It's like, it's, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. I, I also feel like the artwork is always like slightly different for each story too. Like she, it, like it fits the theming of what she's trying to tell. Yes, for sure. It's 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 so cool, and it's very it's got a very good like. I don't I don't know if she was inspired by like the work of Edward Gorey, but it's definitely got a Gorey quality to the the way she does her some of the landscapes and even some of the characters, you know, I can see. I love what there's just a lot of thought into the whole composition of just like, like if you, if you read a lot of like graphic novels, especially if you read things like manga, speech bubbles are just bubbles that are there and here the text and the bubbles themselves are part of the illustration, especially Mm -hmm. when we get to one of the ones later on with uh, the singing from the wall is like, you have that, that, this just red that goes across the whole page and I fucking love it because you just follow it and there's just a lot of attention to where your eye needs to be going and there we were talking about it on the creative power discord with some of our listeners specifically with alex hi alex thanks for your questions we'll get to them later yeah but thank you very much alex some of these stories don't even need the text to convey what they're trying to get across no, the they really don't. It's just that strong. So yeah, I I can 
It's it's definitely the most integrated I've seen. Uh, and that's one thing that's consistently true of a lot of Emily Carroll's work in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I have read some of her comics before this, some of her web comics, but um, but and here and I definitely know what you're talking about when it comes to the scrolling thing, because I do remember reading his face all red uh, a while ago and mm-hmm. remembering the tension that built when you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and watching. And then she consciously made the decision to make some parts of the comic like work with the scrolling of the page you know mm-hmm. like that's a subtext that's really that uh and a, a conscious decision based on the formatting that that is really clever there was another one she did that had it had fake pop-up advertisements on the sides of the page oh really yeah they like they like little flash advertisements for fake for things that were clearly in her style but they're based on like what's happening in the comic. And as it goes on, even those on the side change to be more macabre and, and eerie, which is really cool. Oh, that's so cool. I'll, I, I'll look it up while we're doing, having this discussion, but, um, and I'll, I'll give it proper credit, but, uh, right now I just want to, you know, just re- reference that she, she knows what she's doing and, and with, with the composition of her work. And that's what, one of the things that really appeals to me and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into that, but like the, in, again, the integration of the text and the, and 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 the uh, the comics that the the pages themselves makes it stand out. I have never read anything by Emily Carroll before this. This is my first introduction to her, and I, it's a strong introduction. So I'll, I do want to read more of her work. Actually, as you're telling me more about this, I'm like, that sounds so cool. I want to read that now. And on, honestly, that actually might be something to address later on. Uh, Darkly lit especially as a medium that's a bit different from a typical text too. So that yeah. would be, that'd be a fun one to do. Oh, definitely. Um, so we have the introduction. Right. Which has the um, Little Red Riding Hood theme. Well, there's a little bit of one. Uh, the, the, the pages leading up to it, we, we, we see a cloaked figure. Going through the trees. The introduction itself is um, we see a girl reading in bed. Right. She's this is I feel like this is a personal anecdote about Mm -hmm. her and how when she was she was afraid to turn the night light off at night because it was such a powerful, bright light that it made everything around her be in the dark. Mm -hmm. And she was afraid of reaching out to turn off the light. She was afraid something would grab her. (laughs) And I think that's really cool. This is a Mm -hmm. a neat way to give a sense of like how Mm -hmm. she how this, you know, was a was very formative for her and it's very, very very relatable for a lot of like a lot of readers from like their childhood and I, i'm remembering now that when i bought this copy that i own i found it in the children's section for graphic novels really oh really yeah. that is not a good idea like i don't think it's like it's not, not the- suitable for kids. It would definitely be scarier for kids. But, the, but that last story. <laughs> yeah, let, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> it's like most of it. It's like, yeah, I can totally I can accept it for kids. But the last story, though, that oh, mm-hmm. I yeah, love this as a kid. <laughs> oh, me too. But I love this that last exactly story. I was when I first picked this book up and I was reading through it, my mother glanced over my shoulder and I think she saw the part where a character's like going through the woods and uh, 
It's like, oh, pretty trees and scenery. Finally, you're reading something nice. And then I turn a couple <laughs> pages and it's like monster face. And she's like, oh, my God, never mind. She walks away. <laughs> my poor mother. Aww. All right. Um, but shall we get into the first story? Our neighbor's house. Yes. Our neighbor's house. So our neighbor's house is about three sisters. Um, and the story is being told from the middle sister's perspective. Beth. And so their father is like, I'm going to be gone in the woods for three days because they live out in the middle in the woods and it's winter. Yep. And he's like, I'll be gone for three days. If I'm not back by sunset on the third day, travel to the neighbor's house. Um, And so they wait the three days. And on the third night, there is a blood red moon. And they know dad's not coming back. So the middle sister gets stuff ready to leave, but the eldest is insistent that their father will return. He doesn't. And after a really strange dream about a tall man with a wide-brimmed hat, the eldest sister disappears. Then the youngest sister has a similar dream, and then she disappears. And so the middle sister is left alone, and she has no food, no water, so she grabs her coat and heads into the cold wilderness to the neighbor's house, hoping her sisters are there waiting for her. But when she gets there, she is welcomed by the tall man with the wide brim hat. But he's not a man. He is no man, says the last page. Yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. So spooky. So spooky, yes. And you can, and there's one of the things that's really subtle is when she's looking around the house and in previous panels, you know, when Mm. she, when you see little traces of a figure disappearing around a corner or hiding Mm. under a bed, and you never see the figure clearly, but you definitely see hands pulling a wide brimmed hat out of sight, and I love it. Mm -hmm. There's one where, like, you see the white, him holding the, uh, the younger sister in her coat. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, oh, it's so creepy. I also, um, there's, okay, I actually think it is the the fox the hole did make. Uh, there's also a, a tall man in that story. So I'm wondering, I need to read more and see if, like, he comes up in other things, if he's, like, a character. It'd be cool kinda. if this was a recurring, a recurring yeah, character. I do love that in different stories when there's that one recurring character that's like, ooh, what is it? Yeah, he's got he's got kind of a, a creepy like the traces you see on I mean, the wide brimmed hat. And at one point you see that he's wearing like like cufflinks and he's got a white like cu- he's got like his shirt shirt sleeve has a like white cufflink uh, collar or mm-hmm. him. He almost looks like it has a creepy like preacher look to him. Mm-hmm. Just, oh. just from the little the little segments you can see, you know. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we're like if we're looking over the imagery right now is. Oh my goodness. Like, if you don't look closely, you might just miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely have to, while you're reading, just just stop to look at the artwork. Mm-hmm. There, you there, gotta take your time. Yeah, there's one image where it shows uh, the the two sisters in... And uh, uh, it's in the middle sister's mind that... Um, that they're supposedly waiting at the neighbor's house. And then you look in and in the back, you see this like woman and a hat hanging. 
and it's just you see some shadowy figures in the background and you're like not sure what those are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can definitely tell one is the back of a woman the other one is a little harder to make out yeah makes you wonder i ah oh, so good it's a great start and mm-hmm. i love the shot where she's walking to the house it's night but there's either a blood red moon or a or a sun or something with clouds drifting by it it's such a and maybe those are snow instead of stars. It's such a good shot. Mm-hmm. And I like the moment where I like the moment where he reaches out and puts the hand on the hand arm reaches out and puts the hand the hat on her head and leads her into the house. And the thing is, if this is the neighbor they were going to see, how do we know that something horrific necessarily happened? Because the final panel has the he is no man, but then you see the house. It looks warm, inviting, and you can see the silhouettes of people in the windows. Maybe this figure isn't as terrible as we think, as we're led to believe. Hmm. I don't know. But then he's hiding in the in their house inside. Yeah, it, it's though it's definitely creepy. I'm just saying, and things aren't always as they appear in a lot of this. So I take the tall man figure left. Oh, as, as more of like a grim reaper. Oh. oh. And then that's oh. why, and then like the that's why she's kind of like just like oh okay he found me you know just oh, gonna, I- gonna go inside and it's like they were all suffering and so when they finally just you know go with the tall man they're released from that suffering so it's kind of warm and inviting in a way they do mention Ooh. how on the they do mention how on the third day they were gripped by a strange uh, lethargy so yeah. I wonder. I wonder if this is, uh, yeah, I'm actually, now, now I'm coming around to that. What if this is all a metaphor for death? Like, them all just dying that, in the I, cold. That would actually make sense, because she says, like, I had no food, so I had to go to the neighbors. And she she's, like, walking, and she's, like, it looks like it's a long way. She could have mm-hmm. easily died in the snow along with her sisters. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we want to say about that one? It's It's delightfully ambiguous, which mm-hmm. is cool. I feel like this one would translate really well into a short film. Yes. Oh, like a short animated film? Animated or, or live action, either is fine. Just Highly stylized would be... Yeah, just best. very highly stylized. But I that think it would, would be... transition really well for a short film. For sure. Like, you don't even need much speech. Like, you don't even need the middle sister to be narrating. Like, there could be a lot of quiet moments and, oh, it'd be so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one, a lady's hands are cold. Mm-hmm. This one, <laughs> man, these are all so good. Okay, this yeah. is about <laughs> a young woman who is married off by her father to a rich nobleman, and she's taken away to a wide white manor, and. There, she kind of describes, like, the beautiful dresses that she's put in. And there's, uh, at night, she hears singing soft, sad song through from, like, the walls, from the ground, from just, like, different places every night. Until she's just, like, so grief-stricken over this song. Do do either of you want to read what the song is? I'll do it. Uh, I married my love in the springtime, but by summer he'd lock me away. He'd murdered me dead by the autumn, and by winter I was not but decay. It's cold where I am and so lonely, but in loneliness I will remain. 
unloved, unavenged, and forgotten until I am whole once again. So grief stricken and then on a day when uh the i think the husband goes on a hunting trip or goes away for a while she dismisses her handmaids and gets herself a hatchet and she carves into a wall and finds a set of hands of old hands (laughs) yes uh so then she starts you know Going through the whole house, finding different body parts under floorboards and the stairs and the walls until she finally finds the head last. And she reattaches all the body parts with red ribbon. And the corpse comes to life and tells her pretty much she was murdered. (laughs) Yeah. Surprise! By her husband. And she is the new bride and you're wearing my jewels. And But she will be whole when she tears her apart. Because, you know, she just has to be a vengeful ghost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the girl runs. She runs. And uh, as she runs out, as she ran out of the house, she hears the screams of her husband. Mm, Yes. I guess he was returning. Ooh. I forgot about this panel. But yeah, you see the window of the house. Yeah, that's exactly what I just ooed at. You see. Yeah. (laughs) I figured we were looking at the same page, but you see like splashes of red on the window and what looks like a hand in the same red splashes like symbolic of how he's just probably being torn apart mm-hmm. now that she's someone's gonna get torn apart and then the last panel is pretty creepy too because now we have i presume still our protagonist mm-hmm. but now she's she's starting to turn blue she's like because as she's running away she's got this, this gold yellow dress and then on the last page, like almost all of the color is gone. Her her hand and her face have gone from like pink red to blue. She survived, but like all her life, just life has been drained out of her. What a harrowing experience. Although she may have died. That could be because like it like you said, the life was drained out of her. That maybe she is now the lady with cold hands, but instead of being killed by her husband, it's by his old bride that's one option but that i i kind of like yours better the i I uh, like the thought of her surviving and this is just gonna haunt her forever yeah like now she's the haunted one Uh, now that she's witnessed this even though she ultimately what she did was a good thing mm -hmm. she she brought the truth to light and, and allowed this this uh this murdered woman to get revenge but the one the one thing i like about this is the use of blue and red yeah, mm-hmm. those like are the, definitely the, the the two main colors that we get here. And they're very, and it's right off the bat. The motifs are kind of established. The woman is red, and the man is blue. Mm-hmm. And there's us there. One of the scenes that got to me is everything in the house is blue. The wallpaper is blue. The furniture is blue. There's just blue, blue, blue motifs, like shocking blue everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um. There's the part where they're having dinner early on and you see closest of him like chewing and eating meat. And it's very rare, I guess, because there's a lot of red juices coming from it. And mm-hmm. it keeps contrasting to the like the color in her own cheeks, which is also red. And it's like this is you definitely get the predatory sense from him. But there's that contrast and it's just like uh, so good. Not to mention the the when the 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 dead woman is brought back together. She's pretty scary. looking. Yeah. And it's like. It's used by the red ribbon, and then the red ribbon is kind of used um, basically as, like, a background for the text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Not to yeah. mention she's wearing a, a red that red brooch that chokes her. And you see in flashback that when um when the you see in flashback the the original bride being murdered by the husband, he's choking her to death and he's got his thumbs pressed on the ruby part of the brooch, which is right up against like the front of her throat. So mm-hmm. that brooch is important because he he gave it to her. And then when she's running from the house, uh, and the the goat the spirit of the woman tries to get get her it tears the necklace from her throat so she's not wearing it anymore what i really like uh there's a page where she's standing in front of the wall and it's just this massive blue wall and she's just like yellow in the bottom yeah the page beside it the she and this is also used in another story that we're going to get to where the red you see the the hatchet coming down on the wall and then those the wall is red it's like showing the action like the violent yeah violence in that part and i feel like so all the blue is very passive and cold and the red is where there's like life or or just violence or some kind of passion mm-hmm. so they talk about the house being cold a lot in this mm-hmm. story. yeah that's when you definitely get that feeling because it's all blue yeah blue uh, and white it's uh this is personally of the of the collection this is my favorite story I can um, see that. Actually. I like it. I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a good haunted house story, but it's also mm-hmm. I kind of dig the very, uh, the very bluebeard vibes I'm getting from this. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. I actually had that thought too. Um, I almost thought it was going to go down the green ribbon route for a sec. Oh yeah, like the the one where I told you you'd be sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad it didn't. But, um, it does keep with that whole. Not fairy tale. That's not the right word. Uh, legend vibe. Kinda, yeah. Kind of a. It's very gothic. This particular story. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, feel, it feels like a gothic legend or like a gothic tale that would be passed down, like from in during campfires and such. And I like that. Do we have anything else to say about this? I I just like it a lot. <laughs> this is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Yeah. Every single page. Is gorgeous. It, I love the colors. I love the color theory in this one. Um, and it's just, it's cool. Literally. It's very, actually, it's very cold. Yes. <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, basically, we're going to be just geeking out about the... Every single story in yeah, here, Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It, they're all pr- really good. So the next one is His Face All Red. And this one for me is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, this man so... is not my brother. <laughs> uh, so this one's about... Well, our protagonist, uh, this notice is the only one in this anthology with a male protagonist. It's true, yeah. 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 Uh, actually, Alex does ask a question about that later on, mm. and we'll, we'll okay. get into that later. But um, Well, this one is about um, a man and his brother, who is not his brother. Uh, he describes his brother as this really well-off, very liked man with a plump young wife fine clothes and a face his handsome face <laughs> that just makes everyone trust him and the first few pages we were you know we're seeing his brother and he's surrounded by all these men who i say are swooning after over him oh <laughs> <laughs> i mean look at him look at him staring what's even no. resting his hand on his chin just being what? like look at this gorgeous man anyway um you know, but he basically is the Gaston of his village. Let's be but honest. like good, 
but good. Everyone but good. likes him. Yeah, every, um, and he's, he, this one's actually married and not like trying to prove how not gay he is by hitting on the <laughs> most attractive woman in town. So he's describing his brother, and then he's like, "But this is not my brother. I killed my brother last week." Ah, and so best. we learn of this beast that has been killing livestock, and when our protagonist volunteered to go hunt the beast, everyone laughs at least until. His brother says he'll go with him, and so they trudge into the woods, and they find a creepy black hole, and then they find the beast. And while our protagonist hides, the brother has slain the beast, and it was just a wolf, and then the protagonist kills his brother, drops him in the creepy hole, and he goes back to town with a piece of torn scrap. Uh, from the brother's coat saying the brother was killed by the beast but he killed the beast and avenged his brother and three days later the brother comes back without any injuries saying he got lost and thank goodness for his brother that he killed the beast (laughs) and our protagonist notices things like oh his coat isn't torn or oh he's like digging in the night why that's not my brother. Or is it my brother? Why won't he look at me? So our protagonist goes back into the woods and down the pit to check to see what is down there. And I don't even want to say. Just go read it. Yeah, let's not <laughs> let's not give away the ending for this one. The link, the link is in the show notes. Just pause and go read it right now. If you um, haven't already. It, the, this is the one that's online, correct? Yeah, like this the... one's online. This is the one that I was talking about, how you, how this, like, you just gotta read it online, because even if you have read the print version, it's just, it's so much more unnerving. Yeah, I, I think, in that case, yeah, let's not reveal the ending for that one and try to keep, uh... keep it a bit spoiler-free. Um, one, the interesting thing is... Um, Despite our assumption that our audience is reading along with us or has read this before uh, joining us for this episode. Because again, we're like a book club. Yeah, we're we're always under the assumption that listeners have read the book prior to listening so that, you know, I mean, we can discuss it and not have to worry about spoiling things. If you haven't, though, this is one where we're strongly encouraging you to just go read it. Right. I, I will say, like the first story... I feel like this one is again can be it can be very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of mm-hmm. once again no real there's no real resolution per se. No questions really get answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, just a peculiar thing. It's a whole the whole thing is very is very peculiar and 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 terrifying. I, I kind of mm-hmm. like this idea that you're not really sure if this really is in the protagonist's head or not. Right. I mean, until the end, but like it's like. Is he really mad? Is he not? Um, one thing I also noted, too, is this, the artwork for this is actually a lot different from, like, the earlier, or the first two, where there was minimal colors. This one, there's, like, actually colors, like, in mm-hmm. there. Like, this one, like I mentioned earlier, this is one of her very first web com- one of her very first comics. Okay, that makes so sense. So this one was done much, much earlier than I think these other ones, like maybe two, three years apart since this came. The anthology came out in four, 2014. This one, His Face is All Red, she did in 2010. Okay. Uh, one thing I did note, too, is uh, there is still a bit of a color overlay, mm-hmm. too. Like, 
um, like the panel still ha- feels like it's a uh, got a whole feels all red, even though there are, is a bunch of other colors to sh- signify. It's the still people. very warm palettes. Like exactly. Each page has like the and I do like that because like in those pages where we have like the his he's watching his brother with a group of men. Everyone else in the background is very warm, and then the brother stands out because of his blue coat. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Not to mention um, at nights, like days and nights are very different in this. At night, everything is, again, very blue. The blue palette mm-hmm. is super strong. And uh, and like you mentioned earlier, when when, he, when the wolf is killed, um, it, there's the flash of red. And when mm-hmm. the brother is killed, there's also a flash of red mm-hmm. for the panel sort of symbol. And, and, and they're both. It, it it is prudent to mention that I think they're both shot because you see the bro- you see that the brother was carrying a rifle and I presume that the rifle was used on both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you're right and that makes sense. They're going hunting. Yeah. So it's a musket by the look of it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you get that feeling of it just being this very instant second of red and it's it's done. They're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, mm. You know you know what. I just realized could, you could make a uh, you could probably make a little bit of a Cain and Abel analogy here. Mm. That is true. This kind of like jealousy, and then um, uh, two brothers, and then the one the jealousy of one leads to the murder of another. Yeah, and then now he's being punished for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If not, if not by something supernatural, then by his own guilt, like yeah, destroying his psyche. Right. Or is there a supernatural element? It's like, like <laughs> when the part that gets in. to me that's really creepy. Well, one when he like drops his brother in the hole. I just love the sequence of those panels where it's like the hole, then him dragging his brother, him holding his brother, and then just him alone looking down at the hole. And I'm just like, oh god. And then there's that one panel of the of the hole later at night. It's just there's nothing in the scene. You're just looking at the hole. There's mm-hmm. nothing weird about the hole. It's just a hole at night deserted by itself. And it's just ominous. Mm-hmm. Because you, you know he's just like, when his brother comes back, he's just thinking back to that hole and imagining it there in the darkness, in the woods. And it's just like the creepy. And the smell of lilacs. Mm. So good. It's, uh, this that is, is a- interesting because like... Because the hole smells like lilac, right? Yeah, that's the part of it. And then the, when he's talking about his brother, the brother had a lilac bush next to his house. He did. God, the, mm, I love that there's like all these subtle pieces to and the the oaks, so... the oak tree, the oak trees that had uh, leaves that looked like ladies' hands. That they because mm. the brother is like spooked of everything in the woods. He always says, "Oh, this look, these look like ladies' hands," and he goes, "It's an oak bush," and it's like, and, it's, and a stream that sounded like growling dogs, and it's just like it was a babbling brook. You know, everything is just low key to the older brother. So also, like the brother who comes back, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I love that about this one. In some of the stories, it's just like that's kind of like why they're so so horrifying is because you have these unanswered questions, so it lingers with you because you're just left wondering and speculating, right? Like, the brother who comes back, he sees him at night digging. And you see him, he's digging a hole. Is he digging a grave for the brother because he killed him? Or is he digging another pit? Like, what is it? I what does it mean? What does it mean? <laughs> and, you know, I feel like that's the power of a lot of horror stories that I think are lost to some people today. There doesn't have to be an answer for everything. Some people get mm-hmm. so frustrated and like, you know, we, there has to be an answer. We want answers. There needs to be a definitive the ambiguity of this is what makes it so good. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Honestly, the- because it's the unanswered, it's what's unsaid that is so satisfying. I know people have asked me, hey, is there a direct explanation for some of the things you've written spooky story-wise, David? And I go, yeah, in the back of my head there is, but I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, the, there's this idea, and I believe this to be true, that um, with horror, you don't show everything because sometimes what's in the uh, reader's imagination is more horrifying than whatever the writer can come up with. Oh, yeah. And that's why it works if you leave it a bit ambiguous. Not, like, so ambiguous. I mean, this this Emily Carroll does a great job with ambiguity, but... I mean, there's some horror stories where it's like they're too ambiguous or there's not enough information. It's like, what, what are you, why, what? Why, why? But just an, a little bit of ambiguity creates that, like, it oh goes a God, long way. What happened? Mm-hmm. What's going yeah. on? And then the reader usually will think of the worst. And this is a perfect example of mm, that. Yeah. There's a lot I mean, to talk about with this one. <laughs> there is. The, the page, the two pages where he's, descending down into the pit to check what is down there mm. it goes he you see he's at the top of the pit and you see him going down and it's like there's this blue for the cold night but then once he, we see him reaching the bottom of the pit it switches to that red which makes sense because it's like this is a scene of a murder like a body yeah. but then it's also like that warm earth color is what it makes me think of like there's life down here but what exactly is living down there? Ooh, yes. It's it's so good. Not to mention, you know, his face all red. It's like the red is now the... The red is now a color of guilt, too, so... Mm-hmm. Ugh, so good. I want to know what is going on. I, I don't. I'm happy to live in that. I'm happy to let the mystery be. Uh, what, We only have, what, a couple more stories, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's only two more. The next one is my friend Jana. My friend Jana. Which is told from the protagonist, Yvonne. She's describing her friend, Jana, who is her childhood friend. And Jana speaks to the dead. Dun, dun, dun. Or conducts seances. And we find out that it is all fake. And it's actually Yvonne in the walls making the spooky noises while Jana puts on her show. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where they are walking and they find a dead rabbit. You can also tell that this takes place during the whole period where spiritualism was a thing. Because, yeah. you know, the seances and because of how they're dressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole Fox sisters. Um... Mm-hmm, exactly. We've been kind of, I, I noticed this. We're, we've been kind of moving forward in time a little bit. Actually, yeah. Yeah, because it does begin, like, much earlier on like you can tell this was probably like 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 the first story probably begins like god like maybe like 1800s or early 1800s something like that yeah even maybe even earlier and then yeah it does seem to go a bit forward in time yeah i'm I'm sorry i didn't want to interrupt your your summary i just and no that's good that's a good observation it really does and then the, the last story is definitely the most like recent one like the most modern day and you can just tell that by their the attire they're wearing. Mm-hmm. But, oh yeah, um, dude, Yvonne's okay, so... cute. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Yvonne. She's a cutie. She's adorable. Actually, I really like Belle in the last one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I agree. But um, so they find a dead rabbit, and they're doing the seances, and uh, Janet doesn't really want to do them anymore. 
but she doesn't really see a way out and just gradually over time they grow apart because we learn that Yvonne can see something that Janet doesn't. Her friend is haunted. So it turns out that while Janna is just pretending to see spirits, Yvonne actually can see them. And there's one that is possessing her friend or just kind of like, well, I guess haunting was the best way to say it. No, it's the haunting. Haunting is fitting because this mm-hmm, thing is only ever around uh, Janna. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love, by the way, just to pause. I love the look of the ghost too. Like the fact that it has like these like veins, uh, because she even says it has a heartbeat I think and it's just like oh that's so creepy but it's never there all the time it just pulses every so often with this like arterial red network that just appears Mm -hmm. for appears through it and then vanishes in this misty form uh it's so good but so then as time passes Jana's like she's becoming more distant she's irritable she doesn't want to do the seances anymore and so the two are growing apart and then there's creepy writing. Yeah, the had, creepy had, writing you, in the journal. You actually see what uh, Jana has written, and yeah, it's nonsense. But then it's like, but there's there's some sort of logic to it. Like she's got what seems to be a map of a of a house, a parlor, sunset, a quiet room with a table, a single chair. Like she's got like points to this like weird circular area. Like there's actually a method to this madness. Matted with teeth yet bared. Uh, there's some, and then there's, yeah, there's something going on. She's got, it's, it's really fascinating. There's two pages of this and then she's just writing all this just macabre, bizarre stuff with all these weird illustrations too. And it's very cool. So one night Yvonne is in bed and she's, she shares shares a room with her little sister and Jana is at the window, but Yvonne sends her away until she realizes, okay, something has to be wrong. So she goes to Jana's house sees something terrifying in the window. But when she goes to check on Jana, uh, her friend has disappeared. And they never find her. Nope. And then we're left with Yvonne, who is now being haunted by the same spirit. Or whatever it is that Jana was. <laughs> so spooky! Oh. I do love that last page where we're looking at Yvonne, and it's the, the thing has its arms, or tendrils or whatever it might be around her and that red is just kind of like bleeding onto her face yeah Yeah. so good what i like about this is um there's hints that they're kind of hints at what they think it might be some people like like yvonne thinks it might have been the spirit of the dead rabbit Mm -hmm. but it seems like a very odd thing like why did this like the rabbits them touching her because because only Eva or only Jan Jana touches the rabbit. Mm-hmm. It could be that the spirit that was haunting the rabbit now started haunting Jana, and then now it's passed on to Yvonne. Right. Like it, it tried to get to uh, it tried to get to her the night of the, or at least I think it did. It did the night that uh, Jana came to the window. It. I, I should mention there's a bit early on. Very. very it, I, this could again be subtext, but. Um, they talk about how they're close, like sisters, or sometimes closer, because I don't like my own sister now. Platonic friendships are usually the norm, but I, I want to believe that there was a little bit of, like, like affection, like, deeper uh, affection there. I had the same I thought. do, too. I actually, I really think that, like, Yvonne loved Janna, but maybe it wasn't returned. 
Like, she yeah. never brought that. She never said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also kind of have this feeling of this, we'll just call it the spirit or this white mist, that um, it's kind of like grief or just stress or just negative emotions that are just building and eating away at Jana until she's finally, like, disappeared. Uh-huh. Because when we go back to when they find the rabbit, Jana makes this comment of, like, oh, something has been eating away at it. Uh-huh. kind of what you say, like, oh, it's, this thing's been bothering me. It's been eating away at me, kind of. Well, then, and then she eventually says, like, I'm so done with people, and mm-hmm. it's the whole ghost thing. But the people keep coming. They keep, they... They believe, and they they can't really drop. They don't want to drop the ghost act, or Jana Jana doesn't really want to drop she, the ghost she, act. I think it was more she couldn't see. She was just like so overcome with these emotions, she couldn't see a way out. Because that's right. what happens when people, you know, they get really depressed or they're really overwhelmed by just all these negative feelings. They are they aren't able to see the way out. Yeah. Um, you- so like Yvonne is left alone, and now she's full of negative emotions, and that's why this this thing has attached itself to her now. I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I also uh, kind of like want to pretend that like maybe Jana got turned into a rabbit, so there's like another dead rabbit. Oh shit! That's just me like adding shit that doesn't really need to be there. Yeah. Now I want like um let me let me look to see if uh like if let me go back to the previous. Hold on. Like if there's like any like signal of a dead rabbit or something like no I can't remember no. anything from her notes or any of her weird writing that was like hinting at that at all. Uh, yeah. Wherever she's gone, she's still my friend. Mm-hmm. But then I there I think that there's also that idea that maybe like there uh like it's just a signal that this person's gonna die soon. I don't know. Well, then again, Jana didn't. It's, it seems that the force that's haunting Jana seems a lot more malignant, though. Yeah. Like, it seems I mm-hmm. like it's not as much of a metaphor as it is something something actually like more malicious, something that has an intention that Almost we don't. Almost even like parasitic. Yeah. She got it from this dead rabbit. Yeah, and exactly. It then moves on from Jana's being her being its host to Yvonne. I don't know. I really. Yeah. This one is also really good. This is another yeah. I like. Uh, this one, uh, interesting enough, like uh, it begins with a lot of color, and if you notice, it like, gets grayer and grayer. That's mm-hmm. true, actually. Yeah. Again, the colors are used. This one, this is a very gray and white comic. This one in particular. This this particular. Well, story. well in the beginning, it's not. It's very colorful. Yeah, but 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 uh, like yeah, toward the end, the, like the like the mist creeps in and sucks the color out of everything. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like oh man. Even on the pages that do have color, they're very muted colors. Yes. And there's still a lot of a lot of uh, that blue and red. Like Yvonne dresses blue and Jana's dress is red. Mm-hmm. Those are the two main theme colors throughout the stories. Aw, dang. Aw, dang. <laughs> More spiritualism stories, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm really, in- I'm really legit interested in that period right now. It's a cool period. The Victorian sort of mourning practices and spiritualism that sees the country. Fox sisters and their freaking cracking toes. Like... <laughs> Uh, I actually can do that. I've shown you that I can crack my toes. I've seen that. Our last story. Our last story, which is also the longest story, is... I think it's like a third of the book. Yeah, it's the nesting place. This one actually is my favorite. I. This one's definitely creepy. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this last one is the story of a girl named Belle, or Mabel, uh, but she goes by Belle. And uh, it starts off with, like, we learn that Ma- Mabel, Belle, Belle, I'm just gonna Belle. Belle's mother tells her stories of monsters when she's a kid, but she never really bought into them. And so we start the story of Belle when she, I think, I want to say she's, like, in college. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, she's staying at school during the year, and so school is out, and because of the recent passing of her mother, she is going to the country to stay with her brother Clarence and his fiance. They get to the house, and she meets Rebecca, who is the fiance, and she's this beautiful woman, and she's also creepy. <laughs> yep. I, she's um, creepy. She's so creepy. I'll explain, like, why I think she's especially creepy, even before you you start to get suspicious of her. Yeah, I think but, we might have um, the same suspicions, but we'll get to that. Uh, but okay. One of the things I've also noticed, it, like, her outfit and everything was when I realized, oh, this is definitely 1920s, 1930s without yeah. a dad. Yeah, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's staying with them, and she notices odd little weird things, like this weird tick thing that uh, Rebecca's teeth makes when she's eating. Tick noise. I'm gonna call it a tick noise. Yeah, tick, 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 tick. tick, Yeah. And so she just kind of grows weary of Rebecca and she's she's very, Belle is a very introverted, likes to stay inside to herself kind of person. That's probably why I like her. (laughs) Yeah, I felt that too. (laughs) Um, But then we have a scene where she's reading outside and the housekeeper um warns her not to go off into the woods she could find herself trapped out there alone like rebecca did when she was little so we learned that when rebecca was a child she got lost in the woods fell into a cave and was stuck there for three days all alone in the dark until they found her and then so it's just her becoming very suspicious of rebecca who seems to just be trying to get to know her then there's these weird marks on the housekeeper's hand, who then disappears the next morning. <laughs> Belle is just all sorts of suspicious, not trusting this this woman. And so she ventures out into the woods on her own, falls down the same cave that Rebecca had as a kid. When she comes to, she hears Rebecca's voice down in the cave. She kind of sneaks up on her, and Rebecca is talking to something in the dark, calling it my little ones. <laughs> I just turned mm-hmm. into the big reveal page. And then, yeah. and then bam! Junji Ito! <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Uh, she calls out to Rebecca, and what turns around is not human. So Belle tries to run away. She doesn't escape. But when she comes to, she's in her bed, and her brother is looking over her, like, caring for her, but then leaves her alone with Rebecca, who reveals that she is quite the monster, and wants Rebecca, or sorry, wants Mabel Belle for her skin so that her little ones can wear her. And then she, her little ones, and Clarence will go into the city and just be a happy family. (laughs) But Belle convinces Rebecca, that in the city there's, like, pollution and that her children will suffer and that they'll end up in a hospital where they'll be dissected and put into jars and convinces Rebecca she doesn't want to go to the city. 
And so if her brother comes back and takes her to the doctor, and they're in the car, and then she learns that her brother might not be who she thinks. Uh, <laughs> it's another really good one. This is the one with the most uh, sort of concrete explanation for what's going on. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. You actually get the whole gist of it. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most sort of classically complete story of the bunch. Mm-hmm. You notice that uh, this one's also much more the traditional graphic novel format of like panels and speech bubbles where all the previous ones, our narrators, were. The, it's like free-floating text aside right. from anyone actually talking. We're in their heads. This is the only one where we're not really hearing um, Belle's thoughts. It's yep. just speech bubbles and yep. everyone talking. You know, it's almost like the, the style of storytelling evolves to kind of match like the time period, too, if you think about it. That mm. makes sense, too. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a more modern story, so it's going to have a more, more modern storytelling method in terms of the way comics are done. Where the other ones are more sort of narrations with illustrations and... Uh, you know, the occasional words, you know, scrawled across them. This is, like you said, it's more traditional in its, mm-hmm. in its telling. And it's also more traditional in that you have a, a solid, ex- a, well, maybe not exactly solid, but a more, a more concrete explanation within the universe about what's, hap- what's happened. And mm-hmm. um, that's interesting. This is also one of the, the ones that has a, the, I think this one has the richest color palette of the bunch. Oh, yeah, this has definitely the most colors. Although there is, like the others, there's still a bit of a muted tone to it. Right. But I love, like, during the day, you see the woods. Everything is very yellow and gold with the trees and the leaves. Uh, when you see the monster version of Rebecca, her the worms are bright, bright, almost pink-red. Uh, um, this is, the reason why I like this one the most is because it has that Junji or Gunji Junji Junji Ito Junji Ito type monster, and I'm like, and it's a great like ending because you're like, okay, this is creepy, this is creepy. Oh my gosh, that's horrifying. So it's mm-hmm. a, definitely a good punch in the stomach. Uh, Say, you wanted to mention why you thought Rebecca was creepy right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to the page where she first appears, and she's just kind of standing there in that doorway, she's backlit. Right. And the thing that I that you notice right away is that her outline of her, like, skin is white. The use, it's white lines instead of the black lines that everyone else has. So she's Ooh. like... She's like, oh, she's so beautiful. She's, like, radiant. Yeah. But then, which... like... As you continue through, it's like, okay, it almost gives her this kind of, like, transparent feel. Like, there's, there's, but um, (laughs) more of it's, like, something is not right. Something is different about her. Something is just wrong. And, like, you don't feel like she's right. Is there something wrong with this woman? (laughs) Oh, you get that right off the bat. I noticed it with Mm -hmm. the word bubbles. Did you notice how some of the words she emphasizes are written in a really beautiful cursive script? Yeah, only certain words. I did notice that too. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's spooky. Like there's something it's, it's, she's too perfect. There's two, she's too like classically beautiful. And there's like Mm -hmm. a, especially with the way that, you know, she's tall, she's blonde. She's got like, this great color to her skin, whereas Mabel's is kind of short and dark and um, like black hair. And she she also wears that light a uh, light blue dress again. I think it's a way to contrast between when the red worms come out because mm-hmm. again the the blue red theme that continues throughout. Right, right. 
Exactly. So uh, this one is very good. I like this one a lot. Uh, the monster is legit. When you see what Be- uh, what I almost said, Belle. When you see what Rebecca truly looks like, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. She's very scary. And they they hinted mm-hmm. this throughout the story because because it's not even metaphorical. Like there's the kind of it's this is a, this is a story with a very very big fear of uh, p- parasites of things that the worst kind of monster or the burrowing kind, the ones that get inside you, the ones you can't see that eat you alive from within. And that's like, mm-hmm. Oh God. And then that's that what... even touches back on the previous story too, with the spirit. If we go with that parasite. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. And again, this is her babies that will then they need a, and they need a host. You know, what's mm-hmm. creepy is when, when, Re- when Rebecca is trying to bond with uh, Belle, you kind of get a subtext there. It's like, well, I thought there were some tress- dresses you might want to try on. What if she's just sizing Mabel up yeah. that whole time? Mm-hmm. Like, that's all what she's trying to do. Well, you know that that's the, the second she learns Clarence has a little sister, you know, she's like, oh, she must visit straight away because I mean, she's probably going to be perfect for my kids to wear. Right. Well, because clearly Clarence, as is hint, kind of hinted at the end, is also a worm person mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a bunch of worms wearing. Yeah. It's, oh, God. And uh, the part with the, the 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 maid, like the where she's peeking out the door but and you see her, but she looks all wrinkled and wrong. And then you learn later. She looks like a ghost. She yeah. does. And there's and you, no color on these pages, too. It's great. Well, oh, the flashbacks don't have any color either. Mm hmm. Um, and you learn later that what, what Mabel actually saw was Rebecca just wearing the maid's skin, mm-hmm. like trying it on. It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing too, is like teeth play a huge role in this one. The symbology of teeth, like that night she dreamed of teeth and it's just these horrible sucker mouths, with like circular teeth, just coming out of shadows that are coming at her in these dreams. And like the man with the piano key teeth that lived in the bait cellar. You know, um, that kind of thing. The stories her mother told her. This is the second time Teeth gets, Teeth um, is brought up in a more scary way as well, which is like, mm. That's true. That's true. Oh, man. Oh, man. All these stories are so good. Ugh. They're all so good. And I, I, I said, I know I said The Lady with Cold Hands is my favorite. It might still be, but like, oh, God, rereading all, talking about all these again, it's like, it's harder for me to pick. It's true. It is really hard to pick a favorite in this. It's like, they're all just, they're all just so great and so, like, masterfully done. It's a, it's the it's the best in my opinion it's the best kind of horror in that it's like it, it makes your skin crawl but it's not like mm-hmm. it's it stays with you rather than like a cheap scare that's like wah and then it's over you know like yeah. these are these are it haunting almost, it almost gets under your skin ah these are haunting stories <laughs> they will fl- these stories will stay with you and occasionally flash red with arterial lines <laughs> uh, then it's the in conclusion part. I love the picture at the beginning where it's just the window with the two mm-hmm. stars on either side. I mean, like, those are eyes. Yeah. Those are eyes. And then that's when we get into the whole uh, Red Riding Hood part. Yeah. So this one, we, we just kind of have this little girl who is traveling through the woods from her father's house to her mother's. And it's just her having this nice little walk through the woods and the art is really lovely. And you're going through it like, okay, the wood, the, the wolf's going to pop up. Um, the wolf is going to show up somewhere because I like this page where you kind of see her going through this trail of this, uh, of the woods. And like, there are all of these like wolf silhouettes. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking this, at honestly, it right now. Honestly, the artwork in this is just gorgeous. Like, 
Oh my god! So many, so many hidden wolf motifs in the scenery. Mm-hmm. The lake that looks like a wolf, and the mountain with the waterfall that looks like a wolf, and on the right, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of trees that look like a wolf howling at the sky. It's it's so cool. even like the the tree line with the stars looks like a wolf. Like yes. Oh my god! Yeah, okay. it's like the negative space is a wolf. It's like yeah. she's again. She has she is haunted throughout the whole thing. And funny enough, there is this loveliness to it too, because there's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the green to blue um, in the night sky. The lake is still lightly covered, but it's still, there's still like the curves and the, um, there's still like some sharp edges, a couple sharp edges. So to give you that idea, it's like not all is right. Mm-hmm. So it's-, it's very like, you first you see the scenery, you see like the trees and everything. Cause I think you're the wolf, the wolf you're supposed to notice second. You're not supposed to realize yeah. they're yeah. there right away. Yeah. So she gets to her her mother's place, and she's you know safe, sound. She gets into bed. And she's like, "Oh, what a lovely walk!" And the wolf didn't find me. And there's this window over her bed, and you see what you think first is the moon. And you turn the page, and there's these two white eyes and teeth in the window. Oh, and but you must a- travel through those woods again and again," said a shadow at the window. And you must be lucky to avoid the wolf every time. Be it the wolf, the wolf only needs enough luck to find you once. <laughs> I love it. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think I'm. Oh, and then just wolf. that last page. So, oh, so good. So good. Did you notice the bedside light on her bed, too? Mm hmm. <laughs> nice callback to the beginning. I think it is the same girl from the beginning. If yeah. you look at the blanket and the pajamas. Oh my it is. gosh. It is the same girl. Just, just to creep, create that. Oh boy. Oh gosh. That just makes it even more creepier. Uh, are we ready to uh, answer some questions? Yes. So mm-hmm. um, we got uh, multiple questions from Dobie and Alex. Alex gave us four. Dobie gave us three. So I figure let's go... Uh, Alex, let's switch between them. Like Alex's first question, then Dovey. That, sound, that sounds good to me. This is Alex's first question. Each story presents a semi-timeless tale akin to fairy tales, but written in a much darker and stylistic way. How do you think the art aided in conveying the horror of the stories to the audience? And which stories do you think were the most effective? They're all effective, to be honest. And I think... They're different kinds of effective. But yeah, mm-hmm. like, the, like, like I th- I'd say... The nesting place is the most like on the nose horror because a lot of other things are more like subtext and clues and things like that. Like they're more about mm-hmm. you don't see mm-hmm. or things you see are hinted at like as something more terrible. And um, nesting place is the one where the horror is right there in front of you. It's Rebecca with her face shifting and the worms coming out. You know, like yeah, I think nesting place and um, a lady's hands are cold. Yeah, are yeah, the most horror for sure. Right. The rest are more than just that that wonder, that fear of like the unknown is what you get. Yes. Yes, that's true. And I feel like each art actually fits the um it fits the story very well. Like, um, especially like in time period as well as um the way the colors are used. Whatever the star story calls for it that the artwork fits 
there's a there's a simplicity to um, the lady's hands are cold because it does feel like a campfire story where there's mm-hmm. a lot more detail to the nesting place because as you mentioned that's a more on the nose graphic novel. Right. The story of uh, a lady's hands are cold is 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 much more that you know the simpler campfire story, but because like if you look at and it makes sense for the time period that it's set in, the line work there's so much like detail. And just, like, in, like, the dresses and her bed frame, which is outside, like, all the, like, the shrubbery and and the plants. And just, there's so much detail. But then the color palette is super simple. It's pretty much just red, blue, black, and white. Mm -hmm. And I think that that helps it. Like, as if it had been all these different colors, it would have been too much. Right. I mean... And it's also that simple color palette that makes it so extra effective. Right, exactly. This the, the nothing but blue really reinforces the feeling of that the house is cold and lonely, mm-hmm. and huge, mm-hmm. especially when she when she's dwarfed by the wallpaper everywhere she mm-hmm. goes. Like it's so good. And again, the illustrations, like again, they they match up so well as as to me as as being very inspired by by Edward Gorey. That it like because if you look at Gorey illustrations in a lot of books, I mean, I know we talked about them when we did um, uh, the house with the clock in its walls. Because it's known for those illustrations. Um, it was just ah, I love it. Like th- mm-hmm. those illustrations are so synonymous with 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 whimsical but horrific images. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like we mentioned earlier, this a lot of these stories could could do just as well without the text. So I think the you know in in terms of like how the art plays into the story, I think the art is like ninety percent the story. Yeah, basically. For sure. Oh, for sure. Um, actually, actually, uh, Dovey kind of goes something into that. He says, these stories use a free form style with the text and panels. What do you think this adds to the way the stories are presented? Are there any disadvantages to this style? I mean, as we mentioned before, it, by adding the text to not making it just all bubbles or all speaking, it does feel like it's just part of the story or it's just part of the background. Uh, in terms of disadvantages, I mean, they're—I don't see it really as a disadvantage at all. I—I mm-hmm. I, I th- I think Emily Carroll knew exactly what she was doing with the way she was laying out text, mm-hmm. like how we mentioned examples of like how when Rebecca s- s- puts emphasis on emphasis in certain words, we have that that cursive um, with like the the way the the red kind of paints across when. Uh, there's a, this creepy singing in... You guys know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we know. Some, Even, like, uh, what I meant to point out in the last story with Belle, there's those points the points where, like, everyone around her is talking, and you can tell she's just not interested or not listening. Those speech bubbles are, like, cropped off. They're, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cropped off by the panel, and you can tell, like, well... We can't read it because she's not paying attention. Yeah. Because yeah. it's all from the point of view of Maybell. It's background noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or- and I just, I love that. Like, it's all of the speech and text is part of the art. <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm saying this is like 90% art. <laughs> yeah, the, the- yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Alex's next question, and actually, uh, David, I think, yeah, I can't remember if it was David or Sade who brought this up. I think it was you that this is the one character was only the one male character right uh he says all but one story 
has a female protagonist. Do you think that the author is conveying a message by using primarily female main characters? And if so, what could it be? I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. I think that um, the, um, I, I just think this, I, I'm thinking of the stories as stories first. Yeah. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, like that's what, like to me, they're engaging to the point where I'm not just, I, it's not a, it's not like, I'm, I'm trying to say this without sounding like, I'd like not being misconstrued. I mean, like the stories are the are. It didn't matter to me. It, 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 I didn't really. I mean, I noticed the you know the genders of the characters and the stories, but it like the fact that it was more swayed female than male, like the ratio. It was like not a factor for me to think about. It's just like they're just stories and they're told, and that's what matters to me. Well, and she that's, is. I mean, I, I feel that way about stories in general. Uh, she is a female writer, and mm-hmm. usually it. I think it it might just come down to the preference of, you know, writing characters that you relate to better, that you mm-hmm. feel more comfortable with, and that's why we might see a larger female cast. If we look at each story individually, like the first one with the three sisters, they could have been three brothers. It wouldn't have changed at all. With the the uh, ladies' hands are cold. Well, that's a that's a very that one makes more sense. Yeah, it was, you know. Yeah, because um, it it shows the male as this predatory figure, mm-hmm. and then eventually, like, like the female, uh, ex- or dead wife. That's is true. Basically, taking advantage and stepping, like, be- becoming the predatory one. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the one with the brothers. There's that that Cain and Abel aspect to it, mm-hmm. where I think like I don't know. There's something. I don't know why, but there's something slightly more heinous in my mind about two brothers, one that kills the other, than, like, two sisters. Oh, yeah. Plus, there's the whole sort of, like, you can see it. I, I Well, yeah, if we're, if we're going to if we're gonna talk about that part of it. Yeah, there's the whole masculine idea of, wow, my brother is going to get all the credit. I'm always the underhanded one, and I use violence to solve this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would turn against my own brother because I'm tired of my of living in his shadow. I'm tired of being the one who loses. And it's about, it's a, almost a, it's a competition thing. It's an unspoken thing. It's like it's be- the overshadowing thing. And I'm not saying that's not in- that I'm not arch- archetype archetypally. That's a that's a male thing. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a male thing. So. Um, uh, with the uh, my friend Jana, I think it was also trying to get this idea of like the Fox sisters. And <laughs> I, and I think that's it, it was kind of trying to sort of invoke that more. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I that- think when people think of like mediums. They people generally imagine like a female. Yeah, I mean there were plenty of male mediums out during spirit the whole spiritualism. Oh yes, phase that but you don't happen hear about a lot but, of them. You hear yeah. more about the women who were who were mediums. Mm-hmm. And the, I feel like maybe more in like media, females are depicted more as the medium is maybe why we yeah. have that mindset now. Right. But, the, um, also, but I think the focus on that one was more on the two the the friendship that these two girls uh, had. I, I was gonna say, and then this is also written by a gay woman. Mm. So, well, again, I love that's why I enjoy the the very very subtle and maybe even imagine the subtext of these of uh, deeper affections, at least from Yvonne. So, mm-hmm. and then uh, the last one, I mean, the the main character could have easily been a um, man or a woman, but the mm-hmm. it is necessary. Could have easily have been like a little brother. It's true. But um, well, that would have changed the nature of the relationship, though. Like Rebecca coming on might have been even seen as a little bit more uh, predatory in another way. Mm, okay, like instead of that. I'm trying to be friends with my my husband's um, like you get this innocence of like, oh, I'm trying to be friends with my sister in law. And it mm-hmm. could have been construed as I'm preying on my 
brother-in-law, my little brother-in-law, maybe in almost in a, it could be construed as, as a, as a lascivious kind of way. Like it's a more mm-hmm. like, you know, there is a context there that could, I mean, I'm not saying that's, that's, but I mean, it does change the dynamic a little bit. And then, okay. So, so I said at the beginning, maybe it could, it could have been changed, but now that you're talking about it, I am thinking about it more. And yes, yes, this is actually very true. Uh, but Rebecca, Rebe- right. What you know, that's the other thing too. Yeah. Rebecca had to be a woman though. Oh, Rebecca had to be a woman. Oh yeah. She's a mother. It's a, exactly that, that mother uh, mentality ha- is the, basically the important part of her character. So, and then the girl from the um, the uh, int- introduction and the conclusion is a Red Riding Hood analogy f- yeah. for some of it. So and to keep to keep with that work. So again, the predatory nature of the wolf could be the predatory nature of the male to a degree. Uh, also, also with uh, with the nesting place, the fact that um, Belle's brother Cl- Clarence Clarence Clarence, yeah. Clarence he's he's dismissive of her. Oh, you're just being silly. You know, again, mm-hmm. again, that that's another very gendered thing. Um. So thank you for the food for thought there. Like the more like I said you, that Alex. without thinking about it. But yeah, uh, Dovie asks, which story was your favorite and why? I think we all kind of we did that one. Yeah. Space All Red is my favorite because I am Fujoshi trash and I see the gay up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I already mentioned uh, the nesting place with my f- favorite because that Genji Ito. Mm-mm-mm. The more I think mm-hmm. about it, the Genji Ito, yeah. The more I think about yeah. it, it's it's definitely for me between um, my friend Jana and um, A Lady's Hands Are Cold. Because, again, both are kind of ghost stories. I love the medium aspect and the friendship between the two characters. And they're watching their sort of this weird thing come over Jana, the writing in the book, like the whole mystery of that whole that scenario is very cool. And I like the very classic Edward Gorey slash ghost story vibe of um, a lady's hands are cold. So I I, I think I don't know. I think this shows I don't the know. strength of each story. The fact that we all have a different favorite, because usually mm-hmm. in the past we we're usually on the same page of like, oh, our favorite is this. When it came to an anthology or something. Yeah. This, yeah. this is the first time I think we each have a very vastly different favorite for very different reasons. And I think that shows the strength of her writing mm-hmm. in general. Right. That each one is that good. Yeah, for sure. Alex asks, how do you think the use of a particular color palette and pattern affects the mood of the story? We, we've been we, kind of bringing yeah we've yeah, yeah we've we kind of been touching on this throughout and, the whole episode and actually uh Dovey answers a asked a similar question but more specific the color red and the theme of guilt are common between these stories do you think these are invoked well red we've discussed guilt though well definitely guilt in uh, his face all red I mean that's a key mm-hmm. part of the story um definitely guilt there I, I just thought of another weird instance of the color red that I don't think we talked about. Um, after Belle gets out of the cave and she's in bed, did you notice how her eyes look bruised? Oh, like yeah. there's black all around her eyes, but her eyes are red. Like they're they're not bloodshot, but she looks like she's tired. Like they're like they're dry and irritated, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of creepy too. Know, knowing that that those worms all wrapped around her face before she regained consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's more in the sense of showing like a way of showing the trauma or horror that she's seen. Because if you go back to a lady's hands are cold. When when the corpse is coming to life, there is just black around the girl's eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. That also shows, you know, like, oh, she's she has seen some shit now. Yep. And not to mention, by the um, end of the story, her eyes are like gone. There's just black circles yeah. where her eyes should be. So uh-huh. 
So, okay, so we have, like, the guilt with the two brothers where the one killed the other. If we go to my friend Jana, um, with Red being the guilt, like, the, the guilt that she sent her away that night, and now that those feelings are this foggy spirit, like, that, I think there's guilt there. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's why it attached to her, because now one of her negative feelings is the guilt of, like, she could have maybe saved Jana. Right. And Not to mention that the text, the, the, um, the, when, when Jana, when Jana, quote unquote, calls up through the window and her text is red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we I, don't, do, how do we know that that was Jana's voice? I don't see much of a guilt in terms of, um, the nesting place. I, I'm trying to think if there is any guilt there. I don't. There's the red, mm-hmm. there's the red text boxes with the white text that mm-hmm. are from, from Belle's perspective. And a lot of them are when she's talking about is when she's telling stories or when she's hearing stories about, or when we're, we're, stories are being related about her, um, her mother. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. The lady's hands are cold though. I'm trying to figure out the guilt in that one. Cause there's like, there is no guilt from the man at all. And then the woman doesn't exactly feel guilty as she is more curious and then just suffered something horrific. Although he is guilty of having murdered her, mm-hmm. the oh, red think... the red text spilling through the so, oh, the oh. scene is like, be- behold the guilt. This so, is the, this will lead you to me revealing the guilt of my husband. So no, no, my... not like... I feel like the the red the red going across. You mean the the red like speech bubbles that go across the pages? Right. Yeah. In the so I in... see that more as like the the dead wives like just. Her her anger and her rage at having yeah. been murdered and then hidden away is like spilling out into the rest of the house. Oh yeah, for sure. Because they because it could have been displayed as bl- cold blue text, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's that same. It's the white on red. Yeah, there. It's that again. As we mentioned before, there's that passion and violence that it signifies. Yeah. Um, but that's I. I don't think the red so much specifies guilt in each story, but more the red is 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 the stronger emotions, the guilt, the rage, the, the violence. I agree. Actually, yeah. Red is basically the passion. or the, that <laughs> Red is scary. Red is fear. Red is horrifying. Remember whenever the tick, tick, ticks came up? Yep. The, that was red text when the, with the teeth. And the, ah, color theory in fiction. It's so fun. But uh, in terms of, I mean, uh, but I didn't think of it like guilt, like like culpability i was thinking more like the feeling of guiltiness but you, you got a point there is a culpability factor i'm not yeah i'm not saying like the like again the rage and the factor but again uh if something is going to expose the guilt the guilty party in the a lady the lady's hands are cold it's going to be um something affiliated with red and i think that's what i perceive from that as well um, and then the last question by Alex, this is just a simple one. And we already agreed about this. Do you find the imagery in the nesting place remind you of the body horror of Uzumaki? I know I did. <laughs> yeah. We, would, we, that we oh. won't shut up about it. Oh, <laughs> We're all like, man. yeah, this is totally Uzumaki. This is, yeah. It's, it's that same level of body horror and it's so good. Mm-hmm. If it, it, the only thing, the only, I would call foul only if, um, only if, um, there were more spirals involved, but there weren't. So. No, no, th- this, this is. Mm, oh God. This is some. When her whole stuff. face, pe- that one panel where her whole face it's, is peeled back and all that's in her, and it's just the, the worst teeth. Of the yes. teeth. Oh, I love it. I love it. So or like much. Her, her eyes are coming out, and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, 
Ugh. I just I love the 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 thought of just like poor Belle is sitting there in bed with this thing, and its face just keeps changing, and things keep coming out, and the fingers, and just. Uh, the fact the fact Bell is right now holding her own and is like in bed while this woman is like basically revealing herself as the monster she is and the fact that Bell is not screaming or running but is like actually uses her mind to come up with an idea to stop her is incredible. I got to give her props for that. Just I would be like, "Oh my god, get me out of here right now." I hope everybody who listened to this read this because if you Please didn't do. read it, yeah, it is read so it read and go it. look at go look at the rest of Emily Carroll's work. They're all there's a mm-hmm. bunch of web comics available on her website and they're very good. I am going to definitely check them out. I, now that I learned about this, I am definitely going to check it out. So we're going to continue with our graphic novel uh, joy of horror. But go a bit different this time. Um, we're going to on to uh, David's choice, which is... It's been a long time coming. Uh, we figured we might as well get it done. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. That's why, right, guys, we're going Batman now. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, again, a lot of people will argue, Batman and horror? Well, I know Batman's kind of dark and gothic, but no, no, this is a horror comic. In my opinion, this is a horror graphic novel. I'm excited. I haven't read this one. I've not read this one either. <laughs> this so. is absolutely my favorite Batman graphic novel, and I can't wait to talk about it. But we will do that in January. Yes. Uh, our next episode will be coming out January 13th. Um, if you have any questions or would like to contribute to our love of Emily Carroll and or her novel the, Through the Woods, uh, please reach us at Darkly Lit Pod on Twitter or uh, email us at darklylitpodcasts at gmail.com. And a quick thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Thanks, you guys. You guys are awesome. Do we have any plugs or anything coming up that we want to? Well, um, you can find me on Creative Horror with both the Midnight Marinara and Undercooked Analysis podcasts. Uh, Midnight Marinara is on a bit of a hiatus right now as we gather more material and decide where we want to go with the show next. Uh, However, we did just have a pretty rad season finale. So if you haven't heard that, it's worth checking out. Uh, It's an original story that I had a lot of help on from an amazing group of people, Sade included, who was one of my major consultants for it. Um, It is a story about La Llorona. And then, of course, Undercooked Analysis updates every week on Tuesday. So that's worth checking out if you want to hear the shenanigans of me, Alan, Kayla, and other recurring and sometimes brand new guests just reading stories cold. And Amusings will have an, uh, which is Kayla and I's joint podcast about uh, Disney on the Penview Network. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the Jungle Book this month with uh, Justin Kizon and Andrew Lindy of um, uh, Nothing New, a remake podcast. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this will be the last film that Walt was involved in before he passed away, Walt Disney. So it'll be interesting. Hey. Go check out The Witching Hour, which is also on creativehorror.com. It is a podcast for creative horror fans. We try to cover a variety of topics. We are also on kind of a hiatus right now, but we will be back in January with an episode on Ted Bundy. You listen to us talk about Ted Bundy for a whole hour. We're also going to have people send us their perfect murder plots. Like, if you have ever tried to think of the perfect murder, send it to us. 
and we're gonna read them and talk about them with the uh, Ted Bundy episode. But uh, we are on break right now. We'll be back in January. Awesome. Well, it was good to get back together, uh, but the uh, it's cold outside, and uh, I'm pretty sure the wolves are closing in, so we better bundle up and prepare for winter, the oncoming uh, Yuletide. Uh, we probably shouldn't blow out the candles this time. Let's let's not blow out the candles this time. I'm afraid of the I'm a, I'm deeply deeply afraid that there's going to be a wolf nearby. 